Hello, and welcome to the Writers of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. The Writers of the Future is a contest created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer to have a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Today, we have a very, very special guest. He's been a Rise of the Future contest judge for um, how many years? More than 30. Over 30 years. He's a world, multiple world fantasy award winner and uh, a very, very good friend. Please welcome Tim Powers. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. So um, I think probably the, the main thing that we can talk about, I think that a lot of people will be interested in, is the subject of fantasy, building world fantasy, um, the subject of um, urban fantasy, which I think that's pretty much what you're that you delve into is, is yeah your certainly mainstay. certainly I write uh, urban fantasy uh, at least as much as anything else. I guess for somebody who's who's writing and wants to get into writing fantasy, are there any particular do's and don'ts or just you know, overviews of things of what you've found that have helped you? Yeah, I always uh, want to keep in mind that um, you want the reader to get as involved in a fantasy story as they would be in a police detective type story, mm -hmm. which is you've got to make them think it really is happening in a, this here real world. Yeah. I write urban fantasies that take place in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, San Francisco, uh, as opposed to high fantasy, which would take place in Narnia or Middle Earth. I think there's an advantage to setting a story here in the real same world the reader lives in mm -hmm. because it's easier to make him think it's really happening. There's 7-Elevens, there's cell phones, there's freeways, and the reader will, I hope, think, oh, yeah, I live there. Yeah. Uh, and that way, when you introduce the intrusion of the supernatural, I hope it will jar and disorient the reader as much as it jars and disorients the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, what's that, the, your most recent book that was coming out as a paperback, uh, oh, Alternate yeah. Roots? Alternate Roots, right. That's fascinating. You're, just, you're right there on, the, is it the 101 freeway? Yeah, the, one, the 101, the 10, yeah. the 5. Yeah, I, um, I've always thought there's something magical or mystical about freeways. You get on one, and if you're not careful, you find yourself in Palm Springs or Santa Barbara or San Diego. And you think, how could that happen? I was just in L.A., and now I'm in uh, San Luis Obispo. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, there's a hint of magic about that, especially since the other kind of roads are called surface streets. And think, okay, if those are surface streets, freeways must be deep streets. And so it seemed like an almost obvious move for that book to say, yes, there's something uh, about freeways. And um, I thought, well, okay, good. What? And I thought, well, those mo constantly moving cars somehow made me think of um, electrons moving mm -hmm. in an electrical wire. And uh, if you get electrons moving past stationary electrons, you get uh, an electric current. And I thought, okay, good, follow that mm -hmm. metaphor. Let's say that 
a whole bunch of free wills, which is to say people, moving rapidly past a whole bunch of stationary free wills, which is people camped on the shoulder, generates a field. Right. And then, of course, having said that, it's not all that big a step to say, and in these generated supernatural fields, um, ghosts can come across. From the other side. From, yes, whatever whatever afterlife is most adjacent to the freeways. From there, you, I rely on research and reality. Mm-hmm. I think, okay, tell me the real history of the freeways. Uh, the Pasadena Freeway, which was, I think, 1940, it opened. And uh, what about the freeways that were planned but never built? Might they show up on foggy full moon nights? Uh, you accidentally take an exit to the uh, Beverly Hills Freeway which they planned, but they never built. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I really let research point the way for me to a plot. I think, okay, tell me about the history. Tell me something. Let me find something anomalous, puzzling, baffling in the history, because I'll find a supernatural explanation for it. So it's only, it was only evidently baffling or anomalous because you didn't know the, the supernatural backstory. Which is fascinating. I love that in the, um, what was the name of the book where the, uh, the name was taken out of the Chinese theater, out the, the cement plot was taken out? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, Charlie Chaplin's square of cement originally was one of the three first, along with Mary Pickford and um, Douglas Fairbanks. But in the 50s, when people thought Chaplin was a communist, they took it away. McCarthy, yeah. And, and yeah, during the McCarthy era. And um, officially, nobody knows where it is. I, I, one time, scouting around online, I found somebody wrote a little blog saying, it's in my aunt's backyard. She used to work at the theater. In, it's in Long Beach now, in her backyard. And I tried desperately to get in touch but it went no further, so I had to make up where the square went. In that little garage, a little outhouse, it turned it was. out to be in a shed. <clears throat> yeah, shed. Uh, in uh, my protagonist's grandfather's backyard, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of handy too when you're writing a supernatural story, but relying as much as possible on real life history, real life geography, because you find the clues are all there. You're like a cold case detective looking at all these facts and thinking, in what way is there a supernatural explanation for these facts? And, of course, real cold case detectives aren't looking for supernatural explanations. But um, when you come up with a theory that incorporates real history, real freeways, real uh, geography, I like to think it makes it more convincing for the reader. I like to think the reader will say, well, gee, that's true, and that's true, and that, I, gee, maybe this is nonfiction. Uh, it helps, <laughs> well, they wouldn't go that far. But I, I, <laughs> I want as much as possible to flatten that speed bump of incredulity that fantasy stories require readers to go over. Because mm-hmm. I was, I found myself... Is that when I read your, your books, your stories, when you build that type of a, a real base, it's a bit easier 
to suspend my disbelief. That is certainly my hope, yeah. Because in the course of a fantasy story, by definition, you're going to be calling on the reader to conditionally, provisionally believe something which is outright blatantly impossible. Right. And so you want to smooth the path as much as possible. Uh, I'd find it very difficult to make readers believe a story I might set in a magical kingdom I just made up. But if I say Los Angeles, if I say 7-Eleven, if I say uh, Chevy Nova, if I say Griffith Park, Pacific Ocean, Venice Beach, those all sort of carry each one a little bit of um, credibility. Mm -hmm. And I kind of hope that they will all help carry the reader past the point where I suddenly ask the reader to believe in a ghost, a vampire, something of that nature. I hope the reader finds they have gone over that hump without noticing uh, any, um, any jolt, any, any uh, tipping of the boat. No, it's just you have so much detail to location, and because I'm familiar with it, it just makes it all the more like, wait a minute. Yeah, I've been there. I've seen that place. Yeah. I had that very uh, lunch this guy's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and even for non-Angelinos, many of our streets and freeways are really familiar to everybody. Everybody's heard of Mulholland Drive. Uh, Everybody's heard of Sunset Boulevard, Hollywood Boulevard. um, The Hollywood Freeway. Right. Chinese Theater. Yeah, you've got Venice Beach. You've got got a lot of... um, immediate reference, which again is very handy, though you have to, of course, uh, substantiate them with tangible details. You want to not only say Sunset Boulevard, you want to be able to put the reader on the sidewalk of Sunset Boulevard. You want to talk about the signs, the buildings, the palm trees, the, the curve of the road, the restaurants. And make it distinct from a similar road in San Francisco or Denver or Miami. Right. You want to make it uh, distinctly uh, Californian. Okay. So now we've got Tim Powers 40 or so years later since you start. How did you start and what led you to fantasy? Well, as a kid, uh, I, of course, was a obsessive reader, and I was uh, reading things like Raphael Sabatini, and uh, which are great stuff, Swords and French Revolution, mm-hmm. and Albert Pace and Terhune, which is great stuff, Collies. And when I was 11, my mother got me a copy of Heinlein's Red Planet, right. and bang, it fixed all my dials. Uh, I immediately went on to everybody, and of course, science fiction is uh, intertwined enough with fantasy so that it was as much uh, fantasy reading as it was science fiction. And right from the start, I thought, oh, I want to do it too. In 1967, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction ran an editorial on how to submit stories. Mm-hmm. I was 15 and I immediately wrote a story, which was just a retelling of one of the stories in that same issue, actually. But I sent it off and got a rejection slip 
And I was very pleased to have a real rejection slip. I thought, you know, this, this makes my vague ambition a little bit more palpable, a mm-hmm. little concrete. And besides, Hemingway got these. And so I just kept doing that, writing stories and sending them out and getting rejected. And then a friend uh, told me about a publisher which was brand new, had no backlist, uh, paid very badly, uh, and said, you know, hit them quick. They're new. And so I did, and uh, luckily got published. It was actually, it was Harlequin Romances. Uh, Not that I was writing a romance, but Harlequin in 75, 74, decided to try science fiction. Mm -hmm. They thought, romances sell very well. Let's see if science fiction sells equally well. And after a couple of years, they decided, no, science fiction does not sell well. And they shut it down. But by that time, I had had two novels published with them. And so even though they were my only market and they had just disappeared, uh, I figured, well, it's too late to stop now. Right. Uh, So I... Went back and got my old pizza parlor job back, uh, but kept on sending manuscripts out because I figured, well, you've you've got two books published. You can't stop now. Mm -hmm. And uh, little by little, they would sell here, and then that editor stopped liking me, and I would sell them over here, and it's kind of cumulative. Did you ever write short stories, or do you always been a novel writer? Um, I started with short stories, but none of them ever sold. Then I sold three novels, two to the ill-fated Harlequin line, and then one to uh, Del Rey books, Uh, and then I just kept writing novels. But sometimes editors will ask me, you know, would you write a short story for this anthology? Okay, and and that has been in recent years happening more often, and so probably in the last ten years, I've actually written a fair number of short stories. Really? Yeah, um, but um, I'm most comfortable with a novel. Right. It's uh, more elbow room, more subplots, more travel, mm-hmm. uh, much more room to play around in. A novel you live in for. A year or two. A short story is like you just vacation there for a week. Okay, so that's fair enough. So then for someone who wants to start off as a, as a fantasy author, any particular tips you'd give them or something to read or something to reference or, or just you just need to start writing and writing and writing? I would say uh, it's essential to read a good deal of it. You should... Uh, have read a lot of fantasy fiction, just as if you want to be an Italian cook, it would help to have eaten a lot of Italian food over the years. Um, And I would say not just stuff published since 2000 or 2010 or 1995. Older, that stuff certainly, but also Mm -hmm. older stuff. You want to be able to triangulate the field, not simply have only one line of sight. Uh, You don't want to simply be aware of what is currently trendy. You want to be aware of what used to be trendy uh, and what used to be not trendy. And you want to be aware of as much as possible. Because the more uh, different sorts of fantasy you've read uh, from 
H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, M.R. James, uh, Henry Cutner, as well as, uh, I could go on, um, M.P. Scheele, Seabury Quinn, Robert E. Howard, Clark Ashton Smith, Fritz Leiber, uh, etc., the more broad your acquaintance with fantasy fiction is, the more, more tools in your toolkit, the mm-hmm. more effects you know how to get. And you can synthesize them. You can say, well, now this thing that Nettie Okorafor did in a novel published last year, if I synthesize that with this effect Fritz Leiber got in 1950, uh, now I could, uh, suddenly it's a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody'd recognize those two sources in this uh, alloy right. I've made, uh, and you want to be able to do that as much as possible. Uh, so I would say first, yes, read heaps of fantasy, old and new, and then the advice is the basic stuff: write it, finish what you write, get it to an editor. And if you're a beginner, uh, I think the Writers of the Future contest is realistically and no exaggeration the best market to start with because there's fast turnaround time as opposed to some magazines that can take a long time it pays better i think than any other short fiction market and you're certainly assured of a big audience uh which you definitely want and then you know you um push in all directions and see where you find an avenue you you like do you want to do novels um you might find as ray bradbury or harlan ellison did or clark ashton smith or hp lovecraft that really your main strength is in short stories uh in which case good do that but you'll kind of probe the walls Mm -hmm. on every side to see where there might be a door open and you know then you're if you're writing novels you are now looking at all the novel publishers and luckily there are many and luckily particularly the science fiction fantasy field is always hungry I mean if you write a literary fiction novel about a handicapped boy coming of age in Pittsburgh there's a relatively limited audience hunger uh, reception Mm -hmm. for that but if you write a story about ghosts or vampires or cursed books there's always a reliable audience for those well, we're finding right now even just with uh on our last book wolf moon his story with a handicapped girl because of she had she had been in her classroom that had been um bombed and so she's up on the moon oh that was a great damn a great story. story and it continues to get yes. awards it's getting oh, really? published really it's, I just, didn't know it's that. one of those things like ha. wow it was an amazing story. That the, was a terrific the story. Super duper. Uh, and yeah, girl. that was a story about a handicapped child. Yeah, that's right. So far, so what? On the moon. Yeah. And largely because of her technical uh, enhancements and her mechanical dog. Exactly. Ha, it was just riveting. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad it's doing well. Yeah, it's I'm glad really, it's getting really well. attention. Yeah, definitely well. Okay, so. Um, for someone who wants to, to find out more about you to be able to contact you, where do they go? Uh, there is a website called theworksoftimpowers.com, all one word. And uh, my publisher recently set up a Facebook, actually a couple of years ago now, set up a Facebook page for me and told me you should post stuff on it sometimes. So I do sometimes. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Sometimes it's videos of our dogs. Um, but, uh, yeah, certainly on Facebook, uh, anybody that comments, I'll see it. Good. Uh, and it is always fun. Um, for one thing, it's reassuring if people, if somebody posts and says, I've read your books. I think, no kidding. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad somebody is. That's great. Allow somebody to Keep is. doing it. Keep yes. doing it. <laughs> tell, tell your buddies. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Tim. Thank you, John. And thank you for listening to the Rise of Feature podcast. This podcast is available wherever you find your podcasts. And be sure to sign up and look forward to you on our next show. <laughs>